0: Hey, Slingers, thanks for tuning in to another week of the Word Slinger podcast. We're going to be talking about a passion for rare books uh, and where that led at least one author. So stick around. It's the Word Slinger podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours now? Here's the guy who invented pants-optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger, and I am uh, very grateful that you're here uh, tuning in again for another week of the Word Slinger podcast. I'm sporting, if you're not on YouTube, you don't get to see this, I'm going to lean over, but I'm, I'm sporting my Central Perk t-shirt today. So that's what you get for not um, for not tuning in on YouTube. You don't get to see what I'm wearing. <laughs> so uh, that said, right now uh, or whenever you get a chance, I would love for you to go over to YouTube and uh, find the Wordslinger Podcast. Just search Wordslinger Podcast, and uh, you can probably find a link to it actually from the uh, show notes page at WordslingerPodcast.com. Actually, you can, you can click through any of the videos there. But subscribe to the show on that channel, um, because that's where you're going to, uh, I'm hoping things are going to step up actually, but I've got very few followers on YouTube right now, uh, versus the like nearly 40,000 listeners who download this show from uh, from online, from iTunes, from various other uh, podcast hosting uh, services, and I know, I'm guessing most of you probably just listen to this stuff in the background, but uh, if you would, hop over to YouTube. ...and subscribe. So that, uh, I normally save that kind of thing for the end of the show, but I wanted to pop in and say that now because uh, it's something that's fresh on my mind. But today I'm talking to uh, Chris Frieswick. She is a thriller author... Uh, she's written something really interesting. She's—I uh, love the premise of the book, and it's about a rare book authenticator, um, which is where the the title of this episode is coming from. Uh, she is not herself a rare book authenticator, but she is passionate about books and about their origins, and uh, you know she has these stories in mind, and that's where this came from. And I love that passion can drive someone to produce original content that's really what it's all about for us authors especially indie authors so we're going to talk to uh chris friswick next so stick around for that and i want to apologize in advance for my voice um being as rough as it is, this is why there was not an episode last week, folks. Because <laughs> I've been uh, I've been under the weather, I've had some congestion and stuff. So, all that said, uh, we're still going to plow through. We're going to do this. We're going to talk to an amazing author, Chris frieswick right now. See you on the other side. Well, hey everybody, thank you for sticking around through uh, what I'm sure was a brilliant intro. Um, I have no idea what I said at this point in time, but I'm sure that it was filled with genius, and I know that I played up today's guest. I'm talking to Chris Frieswick. She is, uh, among other things, she's a journalist. She's an editor, humorist, teacher, and author. We're going to be talking about her work today uh, and uh, how she got into this, what she's doing. And first off, I want to welcome you, Chris. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So you uh you have quite a resume here. You and apparently writing is in your blood just like it's in mine. So <laughs> what, it's true. How did you get started in that? It's
1: in it's in my blood like in a bad infection that I can get rid of. <laughs>
0: um. right. There are no <laughs> antibiotics for this. No,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's antibiotic resistant. Um, <laughs> I uh I was. I have been writing since I was in first grade, Um, kind of fell in love with it in first grade, when uh, a classmate of mine in Mrs. Wall's class, I was in Mrs. Wall's homeroom, I was seven years old, and my classmate read a story about her summer trip with her family to Disneyland, and all the other kids in the class were wrapped. They were completely absorbed by this tale because nobody in my class had ever gone to Disneyland. because we were in this little tiny town in central Massachusetts where we didn't really travel all that much. And, uh, I was, I was listening to her story and I, you know, I was like, we get to do that. We get to tell stories. And I I remember thinking to myself, I could totally do that. And that was that. I just started writing from that day forward and it's pretty much the only thing I'm qualified for anymore.
0: (laughs) You know, it's a useful skill though. It parlays into just about everything these days. It's true. Or so I like I think, to call myself.
1: I think it's the storytelling, <laughs> the ability to tell a story, does for sure. Yeah. Like there's almost no, There's almost no job where the ability to tell a story won't set you a, a head above whomever you're in competition with.
0: That's true. That's very true. So you're um, one of the things we're going to talk about, and I, I do want to get into this. Uh, we can jump in now, actually. If uh, you've got a new book coming out, the Ghost Manuscript which I was uh, given an advanced reader copy for. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So why don't you tell a little about the book itself and how that came to be?
1: So the book is about a rare book authenticator named Karis Jones. The name Karis is Welsh, uh, which becomes significant as the book goes on. Uh, She basically is a damaged human. She has had a really crappy childhood and, has decided that books are way way easier to get along with than people, and Which so is true. His, it's totally true. <laughs> uh, and she, so she basically is sort of you know she maintains the relationship she needs to, but mostly she just is completely immersed in her love for uh, old rare manuscripts, specifically dark age manuscript. The dark ages are generally considered to be between 400 and 700 AD and her specialty is in the, the Dark Ages in the British Isles they weren't the United Kingdom then they were just a bunch of islands with right. uh, bit that had been abandoned by the Romans in the early 400s to uh, the marauding hordes of Anglo-saxons which were slowly sort of taking over uh, the land from the east to the west so she her, she specializes in collecting these books and her biggest client, is a man named John Harper. He's a multi-billionaire tech titan that she finds out at the beginning of the book has been committed to an insane asylum with an unknown malady. And his son has called the auction house that Karis works for because he wants to sell the entire library of dark age manuscripts that his father has collected, as well as the house. So she's called in because she's so familiar with the collection. She helped John Harper collect all of these books as in her role as a rare book authenticator. She goes to the house to help authenticate all the books. Basically, that process involves making sure that what's in the catalog that will be presented to the buyer is identical to what's actually in the library. And in the course of authenticating the library, she finds out about a manuscript that isn't in the catalog. It's an ancient, ancient uh, book that Not only is it not in the catalog, it's not in any catalog, which is very rare and unusual for rare manuscripts, because most rare manuscripts, especially from that time period, there weren't that many of them. So almost all of them are known to the collecting community, and almost all of them have been uh, reviewed by scholars and are somewhere in some catalog somewhere. So she's taken aback when she sees this book that isn't on the grid at all. She goes to meet with John Harper in the Insane Asylum and asks him about this book and he tells her that he will give her this book as well as the entire contents of his library if she will follow the clues in this book to the the tomb that is mentioned at the end of the book and all he wants is credit for the find. the reason he's so interested in it is because he believes that this book was the personal journal for a monk who was the personal priest of the man that would become known as king arthur Mm-hmm. And the tomb of King Arthur supposedly has these vast riches of his people. During the Anglo-Saxon war, the British people would hide their wealth because the Anglo-Saxons would steal it. And so that's why we keep hearing in the news about these huge troves of gold being found in the hillsides of England and places like that, because for that's they were like, I'll come back and get it when the Anglo-Saxons are gone. Right. And then here we are 1,500 years later, and we're digging it up now. Yeah. So basically she's like, you think that this book points to the tomb of King Arthur? Like he's a legend. He was a person who didn't really exist. Well, it turns out King Arthur was a legend based on real life people that really did live back then. Right. And so she thinks he's crazy, which he is, (laughs) Uh, but she decides to pursue, you know, she's like, hey, what do I get to lose? Like I can gain this entire priceless collection of books, which are my love, um, if I just you know nose around in some ancient Neighborhoods over in UK and see what I can find. Well, she doesn't right. realize that of course There's other people who are looking for this tomb as well and mayhem ensues
0: So, okay, this hat for I guess so many questions uh, The go. first <laughs> the first is go, do you know someone who is a rare book authenticator?
1: I do not but okay. I I
0: how? That's a fascinating field right there, all on its own.
1: <laughs> I, I totally agree. So I read a book called, in, perp, in In researching this book, my book, which is my debut novel. I have never written a novel before. So I started out doing what I always do, which is research the crap out of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I read a book called A Gentle Madness Okay. by, by a man named Nicholas baze who's actually uh, based in Massachusetts. And it's this huge, thick book that you almost can't find in the library anymore. Uh, about people that were obsessed with rare books. And it was eye-opening because it gives you insight into this weird little subculture of people that collect rare manuscripts and how obsessed they are. And they have a legitimate psychological condition called bibliophilia. And I was (laughs) like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing in the world. Like you're obsessed, you're in love and obsessed with, with books. And i was like i might have that yeah
0: (laughs) i think i I may know a few thousand people who suffer from this condition
1: exactly so this (laughs) book this book is for sure for them um and so just once you start down that rabbit hole you're a goner if you like books and then also just you know i just recently realized that i might also be a little i think i might have had collectors in my family because uh, I inherited a bunch of really old books from my grandparents mm-hmm. and I was just going through them the other day and I have a tattered ancient book from uh, a, a first, I think it's a first edition of um, Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain with mm-hmm. like the hard, the hard cover and like the beautiful old um, uh, engravings inside that were mm-hmm. done for the original edition. And, and I just, I, I'm about going through my boxes, I'm like, I have a bunch of really old books, I might be Karis, I might be her, you know, (laughs) I suddenly realized I have all these books in my life, which I forgot about, to be honest, because, you know, you move a thousand times, and you just pick the box up, and you take it, you forget what's in it, Um, but yeah, so that's how that book came about.
0: That's, um, all right yeah that 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 sounds like a fair fair start for just about any book and of course yeah. you're a, a journalist so you uh you're familiar with how to do uh decent research so what what was uh sort of involved in the research process for this
1: so it was sort of um scattershot um I had a vague idea what I wanted the book to be about I didn't really know what the plot was going to be, but I was sort of in the what if phase of my research like, what if this what if that um hmm. I, I had a, like I said, I had a kind of a vague outline. And as I followed that research, it kept leading me to other places.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
1: And then I would research that and that would lead me. And honestly, the plot is sort of an amalgamation of all this cool stuff I dug up right. along the way. And I kind of turned it into a plot. And it, hungs, it hangs together because it's almost everything in the book is either true, heavily supported by theory that it could be true. Mm-hmm. or so close to the truth that it's virtually indistinguishable like <laughs> there's there's um i've i've replicated some historical events but changed the time period slightly to kind of fit in with my plot but honestly like i would not be surprised if i found out that the events that occur in my book were actually that actually they actually happened yeah. I'm not saying they did, but I wouldn't surprise no, them one but day. Yeah, we find I, out that, that it all hangs together the way I, the way I uh, suggest.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause I, um, I've had that experience. Like I, I write archeological thrillers and I mm. had written a, an idea, uh, just an idea based on research I'd done and probably not even about a month before my book even went live, a news story broke. Um, basically in, in one of the archeological uh, magazines that I read uh, about something so close that, it, that it looked prescient. Like <laughs> somehow I tapped isn't that,
1: in. Isn't that amazing when that yeah. happens and you're yeah. like, Oh, I knew I was onto something. Yeah. But I think that's true when you know a lot about something, when you've really dug down and you've sort of gone down those little dark alleyways of knowledge that most people don't know. Right. You see patterns and you see, mm-hmm. um, relationships to things that a lot of people wouldn't see because they don't have the background, they don't have the context for it. So I think that's a lot of why uh, the plot is what it is today is because all of this stuff started hanging together and I just followed where it led. I mean, obviously you have to drive the bus a little bit as the writer, um, uh, but to the extent that the characters told me what they wanted and the plot, the the research told me what it wanted, uh, I was kind of along for the ride a lot of the time.
0: That's excellent so uh, did you visit any of these places that were yeah featured in the book?
1: so my husband's from Wales okay and uh, so the main reason I wanted to set the book in Wales the, it's based in many places but it, predominantly it's based in Wales is because I just fell so madly in love with that cult that culture the country the the countryside the history the um, the richness of, of just the ancientness of, right. of that part of the world and, and right. its proud history is one of the few places that was not overrun right. uh, by various invading uh, uh, groups of people over the centuries. Yeah, um, and it's just a it's a, it's a beautiful beautiful culture and um and it's and it's it's ripe with Arthurian legend. Um, right.
0: Yeah. A lot uh, of people feel the uh, the, the whole Arthur uh, Arthur legend Arthur legend started with the Welsh right and was it just sort of co-opted by right. the British? <laughs> it's interesting
1: because well they've done a lot of that over there <laughs> um the the english are actually the descendants of the anglo-saxons that came and kind of vanquished the eastern part of the country so that doesn't surprise me yeah. uh but, but it shouldn't surprise anyone actually but the welsh are, are still a fiercely independent people they are um all about their history and 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 so it's just such an honor to be able to write about it in in uh in a way that i feel like does that region specifically the region that i wrote about is called believe it or not mumbles it's just, yeah. it's right okay. near swansea right. Um, uh, the welsh spelling is uh, doesn't look anything like the word mumbles but that's how it's pronounced um but i just yeah my my in-laws uh, both of whom sadly have passed or are, are from there my brother-in-law my husband uh, extended family. Uh, so we just, I just absolutely love it there. It's a, ha- it's a haunting and beautiful place.
0: Well, and see, visiting a place like that adds something to the, to the work that is becomes obvious. I think the readers pick up on it. I think that's Once one you... of the things
1: that I've heard from a lot of the readers who, who've yeah. gotten advance is just the, the, um, the, the, the essence of the description of the places is so visceral, and that's because I love it so much. You can really tell. Yeah. I love all the, I love, I really love all the places that I wrote about in the book. Yeah. I wrote about three specific places and they're all very near and dear to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it should be.
1: <laughs> yeah. Why well, do it otherwise, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why travel is so important to, uh, for authors uh, to travel as, as much as possible, as widely as possible.
1: So. Yeah. There's some things you just can't, absorb through google maps or google earth true which is i'm not gonna lie i use the heck out of it
0: oh i do too because it really
1: helps you sort of orient like distances and what a place looks like plus there Uh, are places
0: that are just forbidden you just can't go there physically exactly
1: (laughs) or you could but you might die you might
0: die and i'd rather (laughs) rather live
1: hard to write like that (laughs) but um it's a there's a feeling that you get in places if you're if you let yourself Feel it if you let if you open yourself up. You get it. You get a vibe from a place that you, uh, you can never ever replicate online. It's just right. impossible. Right,
0: right. That's true. Um, so you've got all this, and now are you are you going to write another book at some point?
1: I have two books that I am going to be starting as soon as all of the book tour madness and marketing is over because believe it or not, that is a lot of work and a lot of time. Uh, It's wonderful. It's like a dream come true, but it's still, you know, time and energy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So I've got, yeah, I've got, you know, we're going to come back to Karis of course, because when we get to the end end of the book, you'll see that things are left in a state for her. She's Mm -hmm. in a mood at the end, uh, and we need to kind of come back and find out what happens with that. And then I've got another book that's on a completely different topic that is another one of those, like this book, the ghost manuscript was based on an idea that grabbed me and would not let me go. And then I have another book that exactly the same thing happened. Uh, I was visiting London in May, and I went to an exhibit at the Victorian Albert Museum, and I saw something there that just... Reached out and grabbed me by the throat and yeah that's going to be my next book, so
0: okay. i can't wait and that's not that's not connected it's not part of a series
1: totally different it'll be a okay. one, it's a one time uh one time thing and uh i I can't wait to start oh. I've already done so much research on it it's ridiculous because uh, it's again it's sort of the same sort of the same thing as with the ghost manuscript, but yeah this is based in almost entirely in fact yeah. except for one portion of the story that no one really knows what happened next yeah and the book i'm gonna write will fill in the blanks on that
0: oh, so, excellent.
1: yeah Love i'm that. really really excited so excited to me.
0: start uh my wife and i watched it and i cannot remember the name of the movie but we watched a movie recently that was the uh because everyone knows that agatha christie went missing for 11 days mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. no one knows what happened including her and uh so that we watched a movie that filled in that gap and it was very plausible
1: (laughs) the um that's that's the fun part um i I guess my new stock and trade and i i guess it's evolving is to to, like take things that are real and then like Mm -hmm. find a little plot that for the thing that nobody knows what happened you know and fill in the little blanks there i mean maybe that's what all the fiction writing is but
0: uh, Maybe, I th- but I think that's a good niche. I, I yeah. think you could probably you could probably milk that for quite a well, while because there are a lot of little unsolved uh, I know. mysteries.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Well I want Karis, I want Karis, my my main character, Karis Jones, I want her to get involved in a lot of those little mysteries because oh, ancient manuscripts contain uh, I mean imagine think of for a moment, you know the, the, the Library of Alexandria was burned. Mm-hmm. Think of what was in there. all the mysteries, all the things that were like, I wonder how they did this. I wonder how they, you know, that was all in there. Right. And it was one copy and it got burned up. Right. Um, And I always have, I have this like weird phobia that uh, we're putting all of our knowledge on the internet and it's one neutron. We're one neutron or one neutron bomb or one serious (laughs) hack away (laughs) from being Yeah. Right back in Alexandria all over again, starting from scratch, you know? and it happened again in the dark ages you know the knowledge was largely exterminated from much of europe and the and the british isles right. uh, by illiterate uh, individuals and i i think to myself that you know it wouldn't be that hard to do it again we do it with false information this time instead of burning things up we just pollute real information with false information but um it, we're so vulnerable to having our knowledge exterminated we uh, it's sort of like a weird little doomsday prepper sub niche, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. See now I get. So uh, what was it? I, I uh, maybe it was Fahrenheit four fifty four where they they were memorizing. They were books. books. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They would, they would have to memorize. So you're we're gonna have people going around uh, memorizing web pages and forum threads and. <laughs>
1: exactly to, or, to hey, just, just, or just the manual for my damn refrigerator right like, you know, which only right. exists online now you know it's like exactly this right. button for i don't know I don't, there's no manual
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they put a lot of faith in us when they give us appliances now, they'll I figure know. it out that exactly. button that has a flame on it they'll know not to touch that
1: <laughs> with a big circle what is a circle with a slash through what does that mean <laughs>
0: Yeah exactly. So you uh well that sounds cool. I think you've got the roots of a of a really cool thriller series. She's going to be kind of the uh Robert Langdon of uh of uh book book often take uh, man, I'm Authenticators. Not gonna I can't say it. It's okay.
1: It's okay. You <laughs> write
0: book, it. That's all book, that's important.
1: Book people. We're we'll just yeah. call them book people.
0: Authenticator. I did yes. it. I there you go. All right. Uh, that's very cool. So you, and you've already got a couple more in mind. Um, what about the, the other one that's not connected? Are you, are you thinking that's going to be a separate series or do, there's just a, no, that'll
1: one? be a one-off. That'll be okay. a one-off for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yep. It's That's going to be fun. That's going to be really exciting. Like I said, I've already done so much research on that one. Yeah.
0: Um, I
1: actually it's based, I'll give you a little sneak preview. It's based on something that happened on the Lusitania during its final sailing
0: oh. from New
1: York to what was supposed to be uh, Ireland, right? Or, or sorry, Liverpool was it Liverpool. No, so of course, I can't even remember. I'm so in the weeds with it. Um, <laughs> but it's it's based on a completely true story, and my novel will fill in the blanks for how we get from point A to point B, mm. where nobody actually got the real story.
0: Yeah, you're you're that. you're dipping in stuff I I like. I enjoy reading. So good.
1: I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. That's kind of the point, too. right? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. I think there's a genre of, of reader out there that just love the Da Vinci Code and loved that idea, like mm-hmm. taking things that were real and that like a real history, real authentic artifacts, real right. phenomenon within art and so forth, and then weaving a narrative around that. Right. That's I, I love that.
0: I yeah. mean, I, I know a lot I, of
1: people like talk smack about Da Vinci Code and uh, and some subsequent I was like, like the they sold a bunch. <laughs> I know exactly. He
0: sold,
1: he sold a bunch of books. All my hoity-toity literary friends are like, Ugh, "The Da Vinci Code." Oh, I couldn't finish it. And I'm like, I finished Whatever. it in four hours.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was I just
1: agree. like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." I
0: That's actually I mean. uh pre pre podcast days, uh I was part of a radio show. We interviewed. Dan Brown before he was known, before he had just written Digital Fortress. I knew back then that that dude was going to do something pretty amazing. So he even mentioned our radio show in the notes of Angels and Demons.
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. So, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, I feel like I wanted to do that, but I wanted to do it with a strong female protagonist. I right. wanted her to be just a normie, just like a normal person who mm-hmm. didn't have any like, Superpowers wasn't mil- trained in the military. wasn't an ex Navy SEAL. wasn't a former spy. Like didn't right. have like psychic abilities. didn't have a trained eagle that knocked guns out of people's hands. <laughs> I just wanted her to be just like me, you know, right. who like had a specialty, but other than that, was fairly unremarkable. And she mm-hmm. gets thrust into this scenario, and the shit spirals out of control, and she's yeah. got to figure out what to do. Um, I like it. That so that's kind of where where I wanted to, and mostly I wanted to write a book that I want to read
0: exactly that's the key yeah Yeah. exactly uh there are a lot of readers like us so we should probably be aiming for us you know yes
1: well that's exactly what i did and so hopefully i mean i know i like the book so i guess i hit my target readership
0: you're in are you uh is it traditionally published or are you self-publishing or how no
1: i'm i'm publishing the my publisher is postal press it's a small publisher um but they're they're awesome and and we're going out with in hardcover, which is, Actually, you know, virtually unheard of anymore for debut right. authors, unless right. you get, you know, a huge six-figure advance from one of the majors. But uh, right. they love the book, and they are really committed to it. And they're like, this is going to be a big deal. So I'm yeah. so happy with their support. Um, and, the op- and it's so gratifying to talk to people like you about this book, because I believe that that it's organizations like yours and other yeah. types of media where it's readers talking to readers that like that's the stuff that gets a book yeah. into the into the consciousness of of a, of the reader community it's not the ads and it's not you know the split i mean obviously right. the book tour is great you go to the bookstores and right i mean what could be better than book, that the like, book, book
0: tours are a good time to do that the research yeah, yeah. That's cause i do a lot of my reading when i'm when I'm yeah. driving around telling people about the book.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, all right. Well, look, we, I, t- I promised you I would keep this under 30 minutes. So we, we are Thank you. closing in our time. Uh, but why don't you tell people where they can find you and your work online?
1: You can look me up on the World Wide Web, I believe it's called. A for now. thing called the internets.
0: until the next DMP. Um, until
1: exactly, the next DMP <laughs> will take it down. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me at chrisfrieswickauthor.com. That's K R I S F is in Frank R I E S as in Sam W I C K author.com or just go to the ghostmanuscript.com and that will get you right to the book's web page. And you can okay. sign up for my newsletter there and you can like link to my Facebook, Twitter, all the other things we're supposed to do. Yeah. With social media that, I'm, that not stuff, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I'm not all very
0: good at. Right. Exactly.
1: not very good at any of it. I'd rather be writing.
0: Same here. Yeah, same here, but you got to do it. It's just part yep. of the gig now.
1: It so is. It's true. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for having thank me on. You. and I And I hope to see you at the signing.
0: Uh, uh, yep, um'm uh, you're you're gonna be in Houston at uh, Murder by the book soon, right? That is
1: correct. That that's
0: is correct. Uh, a favorite haunt of mine, so right. I was uh, planning to try to be there. I'm gonna I'll introduce. Let me, myself. you know
1: what, let me tell you what the exact date that's gonna be. It's I believe it's August, and hang on, stand by, please. <laughs> I will be at Murder by the Book uh, at seven at six pm. On April 10th. That's a Wednesday evening. Excellent. So please, please come by.
0: Yeah. If you're in the Houston area, listeners and viewers, uh, swing by. What was it? August, what now? August.
1: August, Oh, now you need to close my book. It's August, Wednesday, April. Sorry, April. I said, did I say August? I meant. You did
0: say August. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. I I could have sworn it was April. I'm the
1: worst author on tour (laughs) ever. (laughs) That's why. That's
0: why I had to ask. That's why I had to ask.
1: Wednesday, April 10th, 10th, 6pm, Murder by the Book in Houston. Come
0: and watch me say things that are wrong there as well. <laughs> and if you come, <laughs> you might get to meet me too. I don't know. Exactly, if that's it's gonna, a twofer. That's going to draw exactly one person. out <laughs> of you. But uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, stick around for just a second. And everyone else, you're probably hearing the groovy group music. You may dance in place as well. But stick around and hear whatever crazy thing I'm going to say after this break. And I'll see you on the other side. Your book
1: the way it was meant to be heard, with a fully custom soundtrack based on your
0: material, an album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today, sonatainscribe.com. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Frieswick. Um, this is going to be, uh, I hope you buy her books. Check out her books. You can find those on the show notes page. At wordslingerpodcast.com. com, you're looking for episode one seventy six. Uh, that will get you all things related to this episode. Uh, check it out. Check out her website. I'm very excited for what she's done there. I'm, I'm happy to help promote her, and I hope uh, hope she sees some great best selling success. Uh, just I wish for all you guys. <laughs> now, um, this week uh, in our little fireside chat. Uh, one of the things that's been on my mind lately, uh some things that I've been tinkering with, ch- sort of making some changes, uh taking on some new uh tasks in my life. I have um I've been my wife and I both have been looking into uh more stuff around this idea of like uh I'm just going to throw it out there and I know some people roll their eyes at this, but I want to put it out there. So we've been t- looking into more of the stuff around law of attraction, right? If you saw the movie, The Secret, um, or if you read the, uh, the book, um, you got kind of a glimpse of the whole law of attraction thing for years. I've, I've really enjoyed kind of looking in on this, but what, what's changed recently? Uh, we've learned quite a bit and I've put some things in practice and then I kind of drift. Um, but I will say this, the, the principles that I've learned because of that idea because of the film and the book, um, the, <laughs> let me just put it this way, it inspired me to go on and look deeper, which is, I think, part of the point, right? So recently, uh, my wife and I have picked up a book called Success Principles, which, which is written by uh, Jack Canfield. He is um, one of the people who was interviewed for The Secret. He's also the author, or one of the co-authors, rather, and the creator of uh, Chicken, F- Chicken Soup for the Soul, Um, these, uh, which were wildly inspirational books. I actually have a couple, I've got uh, chicken soup for the writer's soul, for example, uh, some great inspirational stories in there. And I, I think there is great value in looking for inspiration, uh, seeking out inspiration. It's one of the reasons why part of my mission statement is to inspire, um, I am, My mission is to inform and inspire, educate, and entertain. And I've come to realize uh, this that as I pursue those four pillars um, of my mission, uh, I'm actually accomplishing quite a bit in the world. That's, that's the conclusion I have come to. <laughs> so um, at any rate, so we've been looking closer at some of this. The Success Principles is a book I highly recommend you read. Uh, regardless of what your career path is or what your life path is, I think that these principles are uh, foundational to to real success and to changing your life in positive ways. So that's the stuff I've been working on. Now, how this applies to authors? Um, so you know, we're in a business where we're using our our imaginations. Now, I'm talking to fiction authors, but I'm also talking to the non-fiction folks in the crowd, okay? Um, I know that a lot of... Uh, so, non-fiction, you're, you're focusing on sharing your expertise and your insights. Um, but you have to do this in a way that's relatable. Uh, so, you get a little creative with it. And you have to really kind of start with this... I love this foundational notion that what you say matters. Um, so, in a sense, authors... <laughs> We we practice this law of attraction idea all the time without even really thinking about it. Like we're we have enough confidence in our own voice, and in our own perspectives and in our own imaginations that we truly and honestly believe that what we write down has value. Um, the, this is something I'm kind of coming around to honestly uh, because you know we also struggle with this, uh, fraud syndrome thing, this, this, you know, that we are somehow we are big frauds. We're big fakers. Um, I, I, I deal with this all the time. (laughs) Believe it or not. I mean, I, all the time I'm constantly, uh, kind of running up against this weird anxiety that someone is eventually going to figure out that I'm just BSing my way through life and they're going to take everything away from me. It's, it's irrational because, I study this industry. I study the craft. I study all of it. Uh, I work very hard to make sure that what I'm producing is my best work. Um, does that mean there's no room for it to get better? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Uh, in fact, I know that there's room to get better, which is why I keep working at it. Um, but I think as, as writers, uh, I, I love this idea that we are so bold and so, uh, So confident, so sure of ourselves that we're going to put our ideas on a page, on uh, 150 to 300 pages, maybe more, maybe less. But we're going to put our our, uh, information that we know, our confidence and our insights into a book. And we're going to put it out there and we're going to have the audacity to ask for money for it. And we believe we'll get it. Um, I think writers are probably among the bravest people there are (laughs) because while we may not be risking life and limb, uh, we're doing something that makes us feel much more vulnerable sometimes than, than, than even climbing a rock face or skydiving or, uh, fighting a bull or, you know, choking out a, a mountain lion with our bare hands. Um, so anyway, uh, now all that said, this all kind of comes down to attitude and, it, you know, just as, I, uh, just as I sort of outlined that I am continuously looking into studying craft, the business, the industry, um, it, I think that that's all part of it and I think that you should have a regimen of that sort of thing. You should be, you know, I read, uh, I, I admit that I don't read as many books on craft. I probably should read more. Uh, But I do study craft in in that everything I read is a study of craft. I I am always picking apart the things that people write uh, to see how they did what they did. So it's sort of a reverse engineering study of craft for me. For some people, it's much better to pick up a book that is an outlined principle of craft. And whatever method you choose, you should make a point of at least once a month spending hours on um, studying craft and making yourself better at this. Um, the same goes for business and marketing. This is a business. I mean, it, it, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Some people resent that Re- they, uh, they resent the very idea that they're, you know, they're working in a business that they're creating a business they're, They are They are, they want to keep the art pure in <laughs> a I think uh, I think those people are right. They do want to keep the art pure, but if you are if you've got any designs on making a living from this stuff, then it's a business. Otherwise, it's just a hobby, and it doesn't matter whether you make any money on it. Um, so all that said, I think uh, the stuff that we've been doing lately, I, I I I like looking into the law of attraction stuff because what it does is lead me down a path of uh, more study and information about mindset and about improving myself, um, and, which leads to you know making more more and better decisions in my life. Uh, so whether you buy into Law of Attraction or not, and uh, I went back and forth for a while, I, I'm a firm believer now. I actually firmly believe that there are principles in the universe at play, um, that God has built all of this as a system uh, that we can learn how to use. Um, I think God uses that same system and I think we can learn to use it our, ourselves. Uh, as we change the way we think, we change our outcomes. It, it, it seems logical to me. And and I know it applies to writing because this is exactly what happened to me with my own writing. So I started, I mean, I've been writing my whole life um, and uh, I wrote professionally for a very long time. Uh, but I kept avoiding writing books for years. I, uh, I, wrote, I wrote books. I'd start a book. I had my collection, what I call my thirds. Um, and they were, the th- they were the first third of a book. Without fail, I would get a third of the way through a book, and I'd abandon the project. And uh, maybe it was more like halfway through a book, but I, th- I think in terms of sheer volume, um, I was only producing maybe three to five chapters and then I would abandon the whole project. Uh, I think that's pretty common. I think a lot of authors do so have done something like that. I think a lot of people who aspire to being an author have done something like that. So for years I would do that. I'd set that stuff aside. I had files on my hard drive that were starter novels, you know. I had some complete novels. I I, I eventually wrote uh, a couple of novels and, and even got one picked up by a traditional publisher, um, which I eventually bought my way back out of that project. Uh, one second, water time. <clears throat> ah, sorry about that. <laughs> so, um, uh, the train of thought uh, has derailed. But I so I I had been writing forever but I hadn't been writing books because um it was hard I decided it was hard and I was right it was hard um but what changed for me so when I in in, back in like 2006 you know I had my contract back in 2008 I started self-publishing um and uh you know I went through this whole grueling process of taking two years to write a book um that I published in 2008, and then taking another two years to write the sequel and another two years to write the sequel beyond that to have a complete trilogy. Um, So six years for three books. Honestly, if you were in the traditional world, that's going to work out just fine for you. That's pretty much the pace at which traditional authors are writing and publishing. Of course, they also have the benefit of, you know, um, an editorial team uh, helping to shape the book uh, people to help market the book, you know, they have all these resources that come from a traditional contract. Um, so you, uh, you find yourself in a scenario like that, you find yourself kind of justifying the amount of time it takes, even though you're making no money. Um, even in a traditional contract, I, w- I really wouldn't have, I don't think I would have made much money if any at all from the, from those three books. What changed for me was going to a um, I went to the, the what what eventually would become the Smarter Artist Summit, now defunct. They had the last one this past year, um, and maybe they'll bring it back. Maybe they won't. But it was the self publishing podcast guys had a um, had a group uh, a little seminar. handful of us, like twenty of us, got in a room. Uh, I was in there with Damon Courtney, who uh, went on to found Book Funnel. I was in there with Honoré Quarter, who uh, went on to write Prosperity for Writers and, you know, dozens of other uh, uh, books aimed at the, uh, the writing market and Prosperity. Um, Brian Meeks, who uh, you may know from this show, who wrote, um, among other things, he wrote a book about Amazon ads, um, you know, how to refine your advertising. Uh, in fact, I'd say out of the 20 or so people who are in that room, I, I believe probably probably Fifteen of us went on to do some pretty remarkable stuff. Um, <laughs> to to do to kind of you know we created careers around our writing, and uh, it certainly changed my life. Sitting in that room, you know, I was direction directionless. I was aiming more at the nonfiction uh, market at that time. I, I had the Wordslinger podcast up and running. I w- had written thirty day well had not yet written thirty day author um i'd written most of it Um uh, and uh you know i i had my three books a fourth book on the way um and it was taking forever but i was i i was focusing more on nonfiction than fiction when i had the sudden realization that i wanted to be a fiction writer which you would think is a no-brainer since that's what i said for years but there's a difference between what you say And what you do your actions determine your outcome right saying out loud uh, i'm going to climb that mountain doesn't get you to the top of the mountain now it might be enough to commit you know and energize you to take action but it's the action that gets you there i was busy thinking about um, being a, a fiction writer and talking about being a fiction writer but I wasn't so busy in actually doing the work. It was a hobby. I was doing it on the side while I built something else. I had fallen into the same trap I always fell into, and sometimes still fall into, which was this thinking that um, I'll build a career that can finance me so that I can finally write books full-time. <laughs> and the irony of that is, if I'd spent all that time and energy actually writing the books making probably the same amount of money as I made, right? Which wasn't much. But if I just kept plugging away and writing the books, I would have built the writing career I wanted much faster. Now, I'm at that career now. I mean, I'm, I'm, there are little things I'm still uh, polishing, getting perfect, getting right. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say 90, or let's call it 98% to the career that I always wanted. And uh, there are little things, little concessions I have made. Uh, I don't think that a life without compromise is an attractive life. I've been thinking about this. I, I think compromise is part of building a beautiful life. You know, sometimes you want to change your plans a little to accommodate the plans of others. Uh, not so that they can dictate what your life is going to be, but so that you can experience new things and share new things that you might not have realized were there. Compromise is a tool, just like just like anything else. Um, so all that said, the the work that I've been doing lately um, has focused on you know getting my head right, getting changing my focus, changing my goals, and basically upping the game stepping up to a new level um and i'm doing some stuff you know i'm, I'm doing other stuff in my life too because uh, i think i actually for a time there i focused so intently on the writing and publishing that i was letting other things slide <laughs> uh you know my wife and i have a great relationship but we we could uh w- there are a few things we could work on that we could do better so that we could get along a little better sometimes because we we buttheads and you could probably imagine, just from what little you you likely know about me, that I'm I, I might be slightly difficult to live with sometimes. <laughs> so that makes my wife a freaking saint, um, and uh, makes her stronger. So we're gonna say it was all for the good. But I, I've been changing uh, my attitude towards our relationship, knowing that I do need to compromise more. I do need to accommodate her, uh, her goals in life more, and it's enriching my life. It's, it's change. It's actually adding positive energy to my life, uh, which I never would have admitted, uh, prior to now. <laughs> so, Cause it's always, you know, it's gotta be Kevin's way or the highway. Never, not quite. It's never been that bad, but it's, it's, it is, uh, frequently it is all about, um, me deciding, you know, we're going to have this in our life and then me working diligently to uh, get it, get us there only to realize that Kara had no interest in that. Uh, so compromises compromise comes in when, uh, we actually have conversations with each other and talk about our mutual goals. Um, so where you can use this kind of thing. Um, well, Okay. So the idea behind Law of Attraction, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's it boils down to this. What you think about brings about your reality, right? What you focus on becomes your reality. Um, for me, it, it became, I, I started focusing on being a fiction writer and being successful at it. And that became my reality. It didn't happen overnight. Could have. Because I've had things that did happen overnight. Because I put enough energy and focus into it. Now, this is not wishful thinking, and it's not um, it's not magic. It's um, what it is is discipline and commitment. Because results come when we're focused, when we're disciplined. So, if I say um, I'm going to sit down every day and I'm going to write a minimum of two thousand words every single day, and I'm going to produce a, a book every um, you know every thirty days. Um, if I'm committed to that idea, then, and I follow through, then results will come. Results do come. Uh, one of those results is I get a book every 30 days. Uh, if I put that book out for sale and, uh, and I commit on a few other fronts, I commit to every day I'm going to do 10 minutes of marketing and maybe that marketing is just sending an email or putting something on social or maybe I'm buying a Facebook ad Um, but if I commit to that then that's going to have a result so see it's not about we talk about laws of uh, these laws as if they're mystic laws they're actually literal things that we intuitively we know are true we know that if we put consistent effort into something, we're going to get a result. And the idea is we measure the result, decide that's not the result we want, or that is the result we want, and we change our plans accordingly. We change our actions accordingly. So for writers, uh, if you just decide, I want to have a book. You know, maybe it's not every 30 days. You know, you you may decide that's just too stressful for you. Um, I would actually encourage you to push yourself uh, do, you know, I, I did it, I did it in like extreme intervals. Um, I wrote, I figured out how to write a book in 30 days and then decided I'll write one in 15 and then decided I'd write one in a week and then decided I'd write one in a day. Um, is that something I'm going to do over and over again? No, <laughs> I'm not going to write a book in a day probably ever again for the rest of my life. But the, pro- the point is that I know that I can, and that empowers me. So I, I actually encourage you to push yourself, find your limit, and then, then push yourself past that limit as often and as hard as you can. Um, and, and as you do that, you grow. I had someone ask me um, how, it, it, what, what I might suggest for improving writing speed. Now, there are physical things I suggest. Um, which is just, you know, typing is, is my primary skill, right? So I, there are tools online, free tools, um, where you can do these like little typing competitions of, of, of a sort. You're competing against yourself mostly, but like I found one online that is a race car. Um, and the faster you type more accurately, you type the f- the faster and further along your race car moves and you're racing against other cars. So there's, there's a way to physically improve. Typing speed, as an example, but that's just you reading off the screen and and, you know reflexively uh, moving your fingers. Um, When when it comes to improving writing speed, it's really about improving how easily you can access that flow, that state of flow in your brain that you get into when you're when you're just really in it. So, and if you haven't experienced this, it's very difficult to explain because you. You, you have experienced it, but you just, ha- you may not have experienced it as applied to writing or, or something relatable like that. Um, but you, you know, if you've ever just been involved in something, like you're playing a game, a video game, for example, you're playing a video game and you get into this state where you really just can't lose. Like you're just on a roll. You're completely immersed in it. Um, you're not having to think about it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to remember that this is the Y key and this is the X, you know, the Y button and the X button, uh, and this is what they do. You, you don't even think about it anymore. It's integrated into your psyche at a level that's automatic. Um, this is, that's that's an example of the state of flow. Uh, I get into this state when I'm writing. Suddenly, I'm no longer sitting at a keyboard um, I'm no longer staring at a screen, I'm, I'm in the scene. I'm with Dan Kotler and Roland Denzel in a tunnel under a mountain in the Sonoran uh, desert. And it, everything that I'm seeing and doing and, and uh, thinking is in that moment, right? So that's a state of flow. Um, and I, the trick here is to be able to access that cleanly. And quickly and that happens when you uh, practice as much as possible and focus is the key so for some folks um, they have to turn off all distractions some folks have like special writing programs I a writer is a good example of this where it's a focused writing program where you can shut off everything else and you've got nothing but this you know either black or white screen And plain text with no formatting, you know, (laughs) uh, to me, that's kind of extreme. I like formatting. Um, but you know, there are focus modes in like Scrivener. Ulysses had a pretty good focus mode. Um, Microsoft word even has its version of a, of a focus mode. There are apps that turn off, um, notifications or won't allow you to, to access Facebook, um, for you know an hour or whatever uh so there's all these tools out there that help people focus and the you should look at that because that means focus actually if people are clicking to that idea that focus is important right now i don't need those tools myself um and i like to i like to have browser tabs open i do I do work. Uh, I mean, I do research on the fly sometimes. Uh, you know, I I do all my research in advance in that I do all the reading and studying, watching movies and videos and listening to audio about the topic. And then all of that is synthesized in my brain. But when I need a quick reference to something, I can remember that there was a story about the Hohokam Indians over here. I can remember that there was a uh, something to do with the Celtic gods over here. I remember something about the Egyptians over here. You know, um, I I like to be able to quickly reference that and so I don't take a ton of notes because the internet is my notebook. <laughs> that may or may not work for you, uh, but it works for me. But the idea here is um, you achieve a, a higher, a higher, um, well, let's say skill, when it comes to flow accessing flow, the more you do it and so you want to spend these these moments in the morning or evenings whenever you're doing your writing you want to try to do sprints and push yourself further and further each time so just like the typing speed, what you want to do is see how quickly you can get into flow, which means ignoring everything else and focusing only on that what you're writing. Um, see how quickly you can get into it and how long you can sustain that what i've learned recently and i, I think i knew this instinctively because i already did this but i have learned that there's action there are there's research to back this up but we are built to take breaks uh, there's a uh, there are these uh, methods you can use people use uh, where you do sprints you write for you know. I don't know. I don't even know how they work, honestly. But you write for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, take a 10-minute break, and you come back and you write another 10 or 20 minutes. Um, do that. If you want to look into um, some methods of it, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the method. Nick Thacker would be able to tell you. Uh, he uh, he uses one of those methods, I believe. Uh, but doing little sprints like that is very helpful to you. It's just like training yourself to run a mile or to run – a marathon um, you do quick bursts you push yourself each with each burst to go just a little further and then over time you gradually reset your your uh, limit you reset that that upper limit mark um, you can do it with your typing speed you can do it with your state of flow you can do it with your daily word count uh, it's just it's just about pushing yourself consistently. And consistency is 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 the key. So, um, and you know, you can you can get a lot of advice out there. There's a lot of people who talk about this, uh, sort of this uh performance-based um obsession we have right now. Uh guys like Tim Ferriss, uh if you've if if you've never had a chance, read his uh four-hour work week highly recommend that uh it's a it's it sets you up for a great mindset and a great model for the author life actually um but you know this these are all tools and the the point here is you want consistency but you want it to be focused consistency aimed at a goal so you know i want a book in 30 days i want to put this book out in 30 days well what's going to have to happen for me to be able to release a book in 30 days um and, I've, and I have not started. We're on, you know, April 1st, and by April 30th, we want a book on Amazon. What's the process? Well, we can work backwards, all right? We can decide, okay, I want a book on Amazon, and it needs to be 60,000 words, because I've averaged, you know, the books in my category, and they're, you know, they come out to, or 100,000, whatever word count um, you feel is appropriate. And you can get to that workout any way you want. So uh, let's just use sixty thousand words. I'm going to write a sixty thousand word book, and it's got a release in thirty days. Well, you know that there's going to have to be some editing. So give yourself a week of editing. Um, so that's you know, let's call that let's call it a business week, and we'll back up five days from the thirtieth. Now we're on the twenty-fifth. So by the twenty-fifth, you have to have the manuscript done, complete, right, ready for editing. So that means that um, you're going to have to spend 25 days knocking out X number of of words per minute, right? Or words per day. I'm sorry. So uh, we've got 25 days. All right. we know we want 60,000 words. Divided by 25 days it means we got to put out 2,400 words a day. I used a calculator. <laughs> So, actually, I used a calculator app. Um, so 2,400 words per day, and if you're gonna take days off, that means you you gotta make up for that word count somewhere. So 2,400 to 3,000 words per day will get that book done by the 25th, and you spend the next five days editing. Um, you know you're gonna need, there's other things you're gonna have to do, get a cover, uh, write some copy for the, the book description, um, uh, maybe you do some advertising, maybe you do a social media push, you know, there's a lot of things that go into a book release. But, you know, in just terms of actual production, you can figure out exactly what you need to do. Well, knowing what you need to do, that's like the most amazing gift you can have in anything. As a writer, as a painter, as a house builder, as a you know, a marathon runner. Uh, as a as someone running for a political uh, position doesn't doesn't matter. Knowing the steps you have to take is like a huge gift. <laughs> so you know that to get a book out in a certain amount of time at a certain word count, you have to produce X number of words per day. That's the whole 30-day author formula. By the way, no big secret here. Uh, it's all free. I'll give it, the formula is free. The idea. Is we, we we know our outcome, so we know what variables to, that we have control over, right? I mean, we get. I love the whole algebraic approach to this. It's like we know the we know the outcome, and we know at least one of the uh, the variables. So, in fact, we know a couple of variables. Um, we know that we're aiming to get a sixty thousand word book that's our outcome we know that we have 30 days to produce it so we know that we have to produce we have to uh you know solve for x which is how many words per day do we have to write and that's that's it (laughs) that's it now that's for producing a book now the same principle applies to other aspects of your writing career um you- you know it, it, it's all about measurement at this point, so um we know that we need in order to we want to make let's say ten thousand dollars a month in book sales. we know that we make seventy percent of our cover price and we know our cover price is four ninety nine How many books do we have to sell to make ten thousand dollars in a month? It's math, right? So uh and this is math everyone can do. <laughs> and if you can't do it, have someone walk you through it. Ask somebody. I know that I want to make $10,000 a month. I know I have, I priced my book at 4.99. How many copies of my book do I have to sell each month to make $10,000? I get 70%. I get 30%. I get 40%. If you know all those variables, you can figure this out. So um once you have that target, then you, you take the result into a whole new equation. Um, and now you start experimenting. Okay. If I, whenever I send an email to my list, let's say I've got 2000 people on my mailing list, or I've got 20,000 people, or 40,000 people on my mailing list. And I know that every time I send them an email to buy a book, I can count on 10% of those people buying the book. Right. So, um, now you start to see, you know, if you've got 2,000 people on your list and let's just say you have to sell uh, 200 books a day. Nah, I'm probably not. Uh, You have to sell sell maybe, I don't want to have to do math on the air. <laughs> we've, we'll, we'll just say we figured out we have to sell 200 books a day to, to make our number. Um, this is probably wildly wrong. Anyone who's doing the math to uh, figure out whether or not I know what I'm talking about I apologize. I'm just trying to throw some numbers out there. But let's say I I know I need to sell 200 books a day. And I've got a list of 2,000 readers. And I send out an email and 10% of those people will buy the book. Now I know that I'm hitting the right number. 10% of 2,000 is 200, right? So those 200 people buy the book. And I know that I'm going to make my my number at the end of the month. So uh, And then the numbers change with... uh, certain variables so if I know that 10 on average 10% of my readers are going to buy when I pitch a book and I know I've got a set number of readers now I know I need to improve the number of readers on my mailing list because I'm that's my that's one of my marketing tools right so what can I do to improve the number of readers on the mailing list well maybe I run an ad and I offer a free um, short story or book for people who sign up to the mailing list right and that brings in another two thousand people. You see, you see how this starts to work. Like you, it's it's not as big an enigma as as people make it out to be. There's no magic. Um, you can perfect this and improve on this over time. Guys like Brian Meeks, Nick Thacker, Ernest Dempsey, you know, Mark Dawson, you know, they've all figured out how to finesse the formula. We don't need to stress over the formula. We don't even necessarily have to have a set formula. We can change the formula. We, we have this list of variables that we can play with and we find what works for us. For some authors, Facebook advertising is the way to go. They know that if they change variables X, Y, and Z, that they're gonna get results A, B, C. Maybe I should have flipped that around. But you get what I'm saying here. Like they know um, if I put this much money in, to, for this amount of time, and if I only get this result, then I scrap that ad, and I create a new ad, and I put that much money in for that amount of time. So they play with it. They observe it. They note it. You know, They track that information, and then they adjust the formula accordingly. Um, for others, that, that isn't appealing. For me, that's not as appealing as looking at this as a marketing content um, idea, which is something I enjoy. I create content. I aim that content at my um, my market, and uh, you know I adjust the co- I adjust that content to, to attract the people that I want the what I consider a vetted list of readers, and then I funnel those readers to my mailing list. If you like this content, you're probably going to like my stuff. I send out in my newsletter. Go check it out. Once they're in the newsletter, if you like the content in this newsletter, you're probably going to like this book. That's how I do it so and i can you can combine all this stuff anyway we're pushing 40 minutes here i'm sorry i've gone i've gone over um (laughs) i should have wrapped this up like 20 minutes ago but uh i thought this stuff was important mindset and all that is very important uh and i just want to see you succeed so i'm uh, I'm trying to offer you as many tools as i can shove in your brain we're going to talk about this some more this mindset stuff has not ended we're going to come back to it, but, um, I encourage you to go out and start checking out some resources on your own. Uh, in particular, I would read success principles by Jack Canfield. I would also read Napoleon Hill's, um, um, think yourself rich, think and grow rich. I'm sorry. Uh, which I know kind of gets crapped on by some folks, but this is not magic. This is, this is what I was just describing. This is deciding what you want, figuring out the steps to get to it, doing the steps. That's really what this is, and your mindset changes your actions. So it's about getting your mind right. Take all the magic out of it if you want. I still say it's all magic. <laughs> so, anyway, that's it. We're gonna wrap up. Uh, God bless you. I'm 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 praying for you. I hope you're doing. Hope you're doing well. I hope you're succeeding. Uh, love to hear stories from you. If you've got some uh, success stories, go ahead and uh, pop on over to Wordslinger Podcast and email me make sure you're uh make sure you subscribe to the show everywhere you find it uh and uh in youtube uh, um in particular uh, i would love for that to see that number go up i'm going to set a goal i think but uh share this with your friends uh with fellow writers or just anybody who's even interested in uh in any of this stuff and uh you know because it helps out our guests too i want to make sure we're promoting um uh, the, the work from our authors we talked to got some cool interviews coming up man you're going to want to stick around i got some big names uh I'm going to make an appearance in the show so that's it take care of yourselves out there god bless you i'll see you all next time hey thanks for tuning in to the wordslinger podcast now you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com that's where you're going to find back episodes books by me and links to anything and everything wordslinger And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll check you next time.